Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come together to look at your word. We ask you to guide and lead as we study what you would have us to see in this psalm. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Psalm 109. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. Hold not your peace, O God, for my praise. For the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful are opened against me. They have spoken against me with lying tongue. They compass me about with also with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. For my love they are adversaries, but I give myself unto prayer. They have rewarded me evil for good and hated my love. Set you a wicked man over them and let Satan stand at his right hand. When he shall be judged, let him be condemned and let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few and let another take his office. Let his children be fatherless and his wife be, widow, be a widow. Let his children be continuous vagabonds and beg. Let them seek their bread also out of their desolate places. Let the extortioner catch all, of, all that he has and let the stranger spoil his labor. Let there be none to extend mercy unto him, neither let there be any to favor his fatherless children. Let his prosperity be cut off, and in the generation following, let their name be blotted out. Let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered with the Lord, and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually, and he may cut off the memory of them from, all, from the earth. Because he that remembered not to show mercy, but persecuted the poor and needy man, that he might even slay the broken heart. As he loved cursing, so let it come unto him as he blessed as he delighted not in blessing so let it be far from him as he clothed himself in cursing like as to his garment so let it be into his bowels like water and like oil into his bones let it be unto him as a garment which covered covers him in a girdle wherewith he shall be girded continually let this be the reward of my ever, my adversaries from the lord and let them that speak evil against my soul but do you o for me o god the lord the the Lord, for my name's sake, because your mercy is good, deliver you me. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. I am gone like the shadow when it declineth. I, I am tossed up and down as the locust. My knees are weak through fasting, and my flesh fails of fatness. I became also a reproach unto them when they looked unto me, and they shaked their heads. Help me, O Lord my God. O save me according to your mercy that they may know that this is my hand, that thou, Lord, has done it. Let them curse, but bless you. When they arise, let them be ashamed, and let your servant rejoice. Let my adversaries be clothed with shame, and let them cover themselves with their own confusion as with a mantle. I will greatly praise the Lord with my mouth. Yea, I will praise him among the multitude, for he stands, shall stand at the right hand of the poor to save him from those that condemn his soul. All right, this is quite a precatory prayer from, uh, from David. And can you imagine singing this song in church? God, go get them. <laughs> yeah. You like that, huh? But you know what really fascinates with me, and we'll get to the end of it, is he ends with, God, go get them, but bless me. Yeah, I have a real serious problem with that whole mentality of, God, go get them, but bless me. God, they de I deserve blessings, but they deserve to be destroyed but that almost all of us think that way and that that's the problem that we have we've got to get away from that idea if we deserve to be blessed and have mercy shown to us don't others and uh and they, this is one of these rare psalms that david really doesn't get to the end where he's looking to bless the people that he's complaining about uh so let's take a look at this as we break this down a little bit to the chief musician, a psalm of David. So this tells us exactly who wrote it and who it was written to. The chief musician who's playing the music in the, in the tab tabernacle at this time. It says, hold not your peace, O God, for my praise. Or be not silent, God. Don't be dumb. Don't be, don't be without speech for my praise, for his song. And this is the phrase that means song. And remember last week we told you there were eight different words for praise in the, in the scriptures. So we want to look at this. This one is a song of praise. It says, for, my mouth, for the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful are open against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. I don't know where, what state David was in at this point, but obviously he's not in a good place mentally. Uh, 
He's under attack, obviously, or at least feels he's under attack. He says, the mouth of the wicked, the mouth of the deceitful are open against him, and they speak lies. This is probably the hardest thing for us to be able to handle is when people are speaking lies about us. And this is when it really gets into a question of, am I going to let God be my defender? Is he going to be my protector? Am I going to just relax in who he is? Or am I going to be like David and go, go get them, God? They're, they're lying about me. At least David is att attending to God and not to others from what we can tell. Uh -huh. But in reality, does that really matter? It, because the more I try to defend myself, the more, it looks like I'm lying. the more you look like you're lying. Because there's an old adage that you protest too much. The right. So the more you try to defend yourself from the evil, the more it looks like you're, that, you're, that what they're saying is true. So oftentimes, all we need, what we really need to do is sit back and let God defend us because the truth will come out eventually. And if you're going to pray, the one to pray to is God, not to, not, to, you know, not to be complaining to other people. And here David is, well, supposedly praying to God, but it's a song that's sung in the, temp, in the tabernacle, so it's a little more open than it probably should be. He's not naming names, but... But it is kind of important when we just relax and let God defend us, things will eventually work out. And the more we try to come defend ourselves, and, and you've all been there when you hear somebody defending themselves, you know, there's the old adage where there's smoke, there's fire. You know, the more somebody is defending themselves, the more it looks like they may be the one that's guilty and the more people look at it to say, what's going on? And it sometimes is not a good thing. You just let God work it out. And in the real, in the long run, does it really matter what other people think of us? Yes. yes. Why? Your testimony. Is that's, it? That's one of my grandmothers. It matters to me what people think. It matters to me. <laughs> You've hit it exactly on what I'm, on my point. But you're also tearing down your testimony, which is your name. And without your Christian name, there goes your testimony. Okay. How, how, is your, how are you going to end up defending your, your testimony in front of others? You're not. You're not. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm just saying when we're in the process of defending my testimony, it's my testimony I'm trying to bring a salvage instead of God's testimony. God is perfectly able to defend his testimony. And he will defend his testimony if we would just back off. And this is a true statement. I've said it before. If I want to defend myself, God's going to say, okay, fine. I'll step back and let you defend yourself. And we'll most likely mess it all up. If we will just back off and say, okay, God, it's yours to defend, you'll watch God do miraculous things for you. And it's hard, it's hard to do, and believe me, you're right, it is hard to do. It takes a lot of practice a lot of faith in God just to say, God, I'm going to let you be my defender in this case. But it's our lifestyle that protects that testimony, not our, not our words of defense against it. And that's important for us. The more that we stay, not to be abused, I'm not saying we get ourselves abused and get, get mistreated, but if I respond to every single gossip or rumor that goes around, I'll end up spending more time trying to defend my testimony than living my testimony out. Okay, does, does, that, make, does that make sense? Yes. But our, our, the testimony we live out in front of people will be our best defense, not our words. It says, you know, the picture, picture's worth a thousand words. It's the same thing with the way we live. When somebody sees you live correctly and they hear a rumor against you, they come back and go on, the rumor doesn't match what I see in their life. Now, if you're living a life that's not lifting up God and you have a questionable life, they, look at, they listen to the rumor and it's like, well, maybe, maybe this isn't them, and then you've got a problem. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, obviously, but when I live a life that stands up for God, I don't have to stand there and, and try to defend myself. My testimony defends me and God defends me. And this is the key when our, when our lifestyle changes. changes, people notice... 
it stands up for us, God stands up for us, and the truth will come out. Eventually the truth always comes out. So we don't have to sit there and, and attack and try to defend ourselves. Uh, and it's very, and I'm not saying it's easy, it'll become easier the more you do it, as with all spiritual activities. The more you do it, the easier it becomes, and the more blessing you see from the obedience, and the more obedience, you, the more blessing you've seen because you were obedient, the easier it gets to be following through. Annie? Well, let's continue on what David was being under, verse 3. They compassed me about with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. So in other words, you want to talk about how bad he's being attacked. He's feeling, at least feeling, whether it's true or not, he's feeling at this point that he's being encircled by nothing but hatred. Oftentimes we will feel that that's where we're at, especially if we're focused on the people. But in David's case, David was important enough People probably were attacking him. Uh-huh. I'm not that important. Yeah. May or may not have been. It says, and they have fought. They have waged war against me without cause. And in this case, he's talking about verbal war, not, not real war. And sometimes, when you're living a Christian life, oftentimes the world will come and they will attack you just because they don't know what else to do. Your life brings conviction to, into their life, and they're going to try to tear you down to make themselves feel good. And this happens all the time in the world, especially. We even see it in the church sometimes where people will try to tear others down to make themselves look good because the other person's making them look bad, at least in their, in their mind. And David is saying, my enemies, they're just trying to tear me down. They're all around trying to tear me down. I'm trying to live righteous, and they're trying to tear me down. And he says, then we look at this. This is kind of interesting. He says, for my love, they are adversaries, but I give myself unto prayer. He goes, I'm giving them love, and they give me back opposition. They're giving me back opposition, even though I'm loving them. And he says, I'm going to be devoted into prayer. Now, what is he praying for? Well, in this particular psalm, he's praying, God, go get them. But he may be also praying for protection. And this is a valid prayer. God, protect me from these people. As long as our goal is to pray to God, God, I need protection. Give me the strength as I go through this. And you might even go, God, go get them. But I'm not a big fan of precatory prayers. What's precatory? God, go get them. God, attack them. God, deal with them. David is, very, David is very fond of precatory prayers. He's a warrior. He goes, God, you go get them because otherwise I'm going to go get them. And the way I'm going to go get them is they're going to lose their heads. Okay, so for in David's case, it probably is good that he used precatory prayers of God, you go get them because he's king. He's a warrior. He probably is the type of person that if you that if he decided to deal with it himself, you wouldn't be living long when he started. In this case, he is, this, this psalm especially is a very harsh psalm that we see on this. Uh, he says, I love them, and then, but they're still my enemies, so I'm going to pray. In verse 5, and they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. You know, I almost see the picture of Jesus in this. Jesus says, I've loved them. And they're putting me on the cross. I've given them nothing but good, and they're giving me back evil. I've, I've given them love, and they've hated me for it. I see, I see an element of, of the Messianic psalm in this, even though it's not considered a Messianic psalm. Because this is what literally Jesus went through. He loved people. And what did they do? They put him on a cross. To this day, he shows his love, and people say, oh, I don't care. It's not worth anything. And he's saying all this, and he goes, they've rewarded. And this is literally uh, given a wage or or set on or established, and he says, evil for good and hatred for my love. Now here's David's prayer. He's back into his prayer. Set a wicked man over him and let Satan stand at his right hand. Yeah, that's pretty strong uh, encouragement. It's all what we, but at the same time, it is really what we wish for, isn't it? When somebody's coming against us, God, you put somebody more wicked than them against them, over them. Let the, you know, put a watchman, put a, put a crim, you know, put a strong uh, sovereign person over them, and a wicked man is literally a criminal. 
God put a criminal over them. <laughs> He's talking about some strong words. But you know, in one sense, this is what happens. If we will back off and let God be our defender, God does things that we probably, if we have any love for the person at all, do not want to see happen in their life. And things will happen to them that is so harsh. I've shared with you, there was a time when I worked for a man who was very abusive to his managers, and, and I quit because I got tired of dealing with all of his changes and all of his rules. Within a year, the man had lost all of his businesses, his wife had divorced him, and his kids had left him, and they'd repossessed all of his property. Now, would I have ever wished that on him for as bad or as abusive as he was? No. But people reap what they sow. If we will just be patient enough to let God bring back upon these people what they have sown, it will happen. And I've seen it happen more than once. I've shared with you guys, I know another man who used to attack a pastor in this church, and I and the head deacon went over and talked to him and said, you cannot be attacking the pastor this way. And the pastor didn't deserve what, you know, what this guy gave to him at all. And we go, you've got to stop. He didn't. Another case where his wife divorced him, two of his sons died, another one got cancer. All these things happened to this poor man, and I'm absolutely sure it's because of what he did in attacking the pastor. The pastor didn't get aggressive and attack back at him. The pastor let God deal with it. The head deacon and I went to the man and said, hey, you've got to stop. This is the biblical, the biblical way of doing it, and then watched God deal with him. You know, God does defending of us if we will let him. If we want, and again, again, I'm going to say, if we want to defend ourselves, God will step back and say, okay, you go ahead and defend yourself. You, know, you go ahead and defend yourself if you want to. You go ahead and take care of things if you want to. But if we can just learn to relax in God and hide in him and watch him defend us, it's an almost... Sometimes I would almost say I'd rather defend myself and make a mess out of it than watch what God has done to some of these people that I've seen him when he steps up to defend. God, when he steps up, will crush these people if they're not willing to repent. And this is where we need to be very careful how we pray. David prays a very vicious prayer on this person. God put a criminal over him and then let Satan stand at his right hand. Okay? We've talked about this. Right hand means what? Does anybody remember? Side of approval. He says, let Satan stand at his right hand. The, 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 his adversaries will be approving Satan. Satan standing on his right hand. That's the person who whispers into your ear and you listen to them. Okay? Uh, we still have that, the saying, this is my right hand man or a person or, you know, when we're saying this is the person I trust. If you, don't, if you can't get hold of me, you go to this person. Okay? So this is what he's saying. Let Satan be at his right hand, the one that he's going to listen to and be in charge when he's not, not actively uh, running things. Verse 7 says, when, he's, when he shall be judged, and look at this, he, when he shall be judged. Okay, David knows that he's going to be judged, the, the adversaries. When he shall be judged, let him be condemned and let his prayer become sin. Okay, God, you, when, even when he prays, don't, prays, don't listen to him. It, it's, he's not praying for the right thing, so don't listen to him. Yeah, this is strong. Let his days be few and let another take his office. Okay, God, have, make him have a short life. And take away whatever, whatever he does have in his station in life. These are the things David's asking God to do this, to these adversaries. And we don't know specifically which adversary this is. This guy may very much deserve this, but this is where David's at. He feels very, very much attacked. Let his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. Okay, so not only him, God, but let his family suffer. And you know, David's not, not very happy with this person. This is a very strong. Let his children continue, uh, be continual vagabonds and beg. Let them seek out their bread also in desolate places. Now, this is where I think David's gone a little too far. Okay, Maybe taking his life is one thing, but he's saying let his children be vagabonds, totter and, and, and wander around and beg. And not only let that, but let them beg in places that are desolate. But it may not be his kids 
Well, that's what I'm saying. This is where I think he may have gone a little too far in his curse. Yeah. Now, there will be those who will defend him, saying that when the father raises up his family, they will follow in like suit on the like the father. And there's a very a strong truth to that in general practice is uh, if somebody is a drunk, then he usually raises kids that are going to be drunks. If they're now, you know, into drugs, then they usually will raise kids that are into drugs you know, or sex or whatever other sin it is, they, their family. The next generation usually is as bad as the father at the minimum or worse, unless God steps in, because that's the lifestyle they've learned. And we see it over and over again. It was okay for dad to drink, and I can drink, and then they start drinking at an earlier age than dad did and go worse. Okay? It was okay dad, for dad was a thief, and so I'm going to be a thief, and I'm going to learn from the lessons that the mistakes he made, and I'm not going to make them, and they get worse. So we see that generation after generation after generation getting more and more depraved. Now we can also see it in the reverse. When somebody is raising a righteous generation up, we can see that each of the righteous generations being stronger with God because they start at a higher point. Now there's no absolute guarantee that if you raise your kids in a righteous way that they're going to be righteous. And there's no absolute standard that if you raise your kids negatively that they're going to be negative because God can step in and change the, change the pattern. But in general, righteous families produce righteous kids and, and uh, ones that are in deep into sin will produce children that are deep into sin. And so in one sense, David is saying, you know, he's so bad, his children are going to be bad, so go just make sure they don't have any blessings either. But this is a strong curse on the children. Especially when God says that the children will not bear the sins of their father. And David is saying, God, go get them. You know, go get, go, go get him and go get his children. And this is a very strong. David is not a very happy camper in this. He's very upset with this man. And this is his prayer. And again, just because the Bible has something in it does not mean that God's approving of what's said. All right? So many times it's just this is what was said. This is what was done. All right, God is not telling us this is the prayer we should be making. <laughs> I just want to make that clear. He's just, this is the prayer that David made. And I would love to see who it was made against and, <laughs> and see what really happened and whether the kids even deserved it. And then he goes on. Let the extortioner, uh, extortioner catch all that he has and let, not, and let the stranger spoil his labor. Extortioner literally is creditors in this case. Let the creditors take all that he has. Um, apparently this, David believes that he owes a lot of money. Uh, but he says, let his, let his creditors take all he has and let the stranger spoil his labor. Let his strangers take all of his, all of his, all that he's working for. And some of us have probably been there where, where especially if we've disobeyed God and we've gone into a lot of debt, where the, every time the phone rings, you think it's a, a credit collector trying to get more money out, more, more money from you. And this is kind of what he's saying. Let these, let these collectors, the creditors, collect. And the thing about it in his days, if you didn't pay your deals, bills, there was no bankruptcy, you went to prison. Where you couldn't pay your bills anyway, and you stayed in prison until your bill got paid. So it's you know, pretty, pretty harsh. Verse seven, uh, 12 says, Let there be none to extend mercy unto him, Neither let any favor his fatherless children. So again, this is, a, this is a strong curse he's putting on him. God, don't let any extend mercy to him. A man can have grown children. These children could have been grown and already shown for his children. And that's possible. It's why they would end up being beggars if they were fatherless at that time. I don't know, but it's possible. I'm not going to say it's not. But he says, this is strong, that none extend to him mercy. Now, what is the definition of mercy? Not getting what you deserve. Not getting what we deserve. So he got, he's saying, God, don't forgive him. Don't give him what he de doesn't deserve, God. And don't let anybody favor or show mercy to his, to his children. This is, the, this is another one of those places that I kind of have some problem with because we should be extending mercy because we have received so much mercy. We should extend mercy to other people. 
And again, we're not saying you let people abuse you and use you and all of that, but you don't sit there and try to defend yourself. You don't have to hang around the person anymore. You don't have to give them any more ammunition to use against you. You can stay away from them, but let God deal with them. And God always wants to show mercy. And David is another place is going to say, your mercy endures forever. At the end of this chapter, at the end of this psalm, he's going to say, God, show me mercy. God, don't show him mercy, but give me mercy. This is one of those places where I see some problems in, in, the, in what he's confused. And David had some confusion, but I, like I say, I kind of understand. He's a warrior. If he, if he wasn't praying to God with this, he probably would have been doing it on his own. And you think, I think back in, uh, when Nabal would not give David and his, his men provisions for having watched over his sheep and everything. David got so angry, he, jumped, he got loaded up the army and started ch- charging on Nabal. And he was going to kill everybody in Nabal's uh, town complex, whatever you want to call it, his farm. And Abigail heard of it. And Nabal means fool, and she, said, and she took David food and provisions and said, forgive my, forgive my husband, for he really is what his name says. And then she came back and you go, you, really, you, know, you really are the fool like your name is. David was ready to kill you. And he had a heart attack and died. <laughs> so Nabal got what he deserved because of God, but David was kept from being his own defender. And sometimes God will protect us in spite of ourselves. When we want to defend ourselves, oftentimes he'll step in and defend us anyway. And this is what he's saying, you know, don't show mercy, but God's saying he's God of mercy. God always wants to show mercy to, uh, to people if they will just respond in any small amount of way. He's ready to show mercy. And it's his mercy that he doesn't destroy us when we do something wrong. It was, when Adam and Eve sinned, it was his mercy that didn't kill them on the spot. And if he had killed them on the spot, then none of us would be here. Because everybody is one of their, one of their descendants. God would have been in his right to have killed them at right that moment. Matter of fact, that's what he told them would happen. That they would die. And they literally died spiritually the moment they took, that, took the fruit. And they died physically many centuries thereafter. But God extends mercy. And it's his mercy that keeps people on a chance to be able to finally accept him and come to him. And David's saying, God, don't show mercy to this person. In other words, God, send them to hell because I'm that mad at them. That's really what he's saying here. God, send them to hell because I'm so, I'm so fed up with them and what they're doing to me. We should never get to the place where we feel that strongly against somebody. Hell is a very awful place that we should not wish anybody to go to. Period. It is last for eternity. This is really what David is saying here. God, don't show him mercy. Send him to hell because he doesn't deserve anything better. This is not a place where we, we don't want this kind of anger. Being a... Then he goes on in verse 13. Let his prosperity be cut off and the generation following let their name be blotted out. God, what kids he has, don't let them have kids. And by the next generation, just blot out his whole name. He doesn't have any kids, blot their name out completely. No, nobody... Re- yeah. We're getting a picture of how angry David is at this particular individual or individuals. I think now, whether, whether he is in it, that David may not be in the proper place with God at this point is probably a true statement too. Because this is quite angry. This is, this is anger beyond anything that somebody following God should be looking. And again, maybe they deserved it. I don't know. But still, this is a strong harsh attack because we look at somebody like Absalom who David's son who rebelled against him and David kept telling his general don't kill the boy you know he's raising up against me he's taking my kingdom away but don't kill him and then when Absalom is defeated David goes into mourning for months and the and and the generals are going his advisors are going you're destroying the will of the people. We defended you. We, made, we restored you to your kingdom. And now you're more sorry for your son than having lost your kingdom in the first place. 
David has, and this is one thing we've brought up at times, David had some very serious emotional issues. <laughs> he had very high highs and very low lows. It's, I won't rule that out. Many people have said that. When he was on fire for God, he was really on fire. And when he was down, when he, was bad, he, he was, was way down. Here, I think we have a picture of David's having a little bit of uh, opposition. And he is just taking it way down to the, to the lowest level that he can go into. And like I said, most of his Psalms, when we see it, he starts out low and he works his way to a good position. This one we don't see that much of. Then in verse 14, this even gets stronger. He's already, he's already put bad wishes on the person, his wife, because she, now she's a widow, and his, and, his, and his children. Let the iniquity of his father be remembered with the Lord, and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Okay? God, go get him, go get his wife, get his, fam, his kids, and by the way, go get his mother and dad. And, let, and he might be talking about his grandfather. Because you got to remember, in Hebrew, there's not a distinction between grandfather, father, great-grandfather. Let, let the sins of his fathers would, repur, would be going back to his father, grandfather, great-grandfather. So God, all the people before him, go get them. Go get all of his, get all of his male progeny. You know, remember their sins and send them to hell. You know, basically, he's telling God, send his guy's entire lineage to, to hell, which is kind of a dangerous thing, especially if they happen to be Jews, because now he's telling them to go put his own parent, his own grandparents into, into hell. You know, that's not a very strong, uh, good place to be, and let his mother, let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. I mean, this is, he is angry. He is angry and, and working in. Yeah. Verse 15, let them be before the Lord continually that he might cut off the memory of them from the earth. Yes, yes. that is my mindset of that. So cut off from the earth? Cut off, their, cut off the memory of them. Yeah. God, don't even let his family yeah. be remembered. Now, we're talking some strong dislike, strong hatred toward them. Really, really bad people. Either that or David's in a really bad place. And maybe a combination of both. I don't know that anybody was that bad that they should have been cut off, cut off with everybody in their family cut off. Well, maybe. But would you want his parents and his grandparents maybe all cut off too? Some of them were Jewish. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so this is one of these things. Uh, in verse 16 it says, Because he... Now, this is where we get into this idea that he may be deserving of all this, okay? David's now going to get in a little more reason. Because he remembers not to show mercy, but persecutes the poor and needy, that he might even slay the broken in heart. So this man is one, apparently from what David says, he doesn't show mercy. This man doesn't show mercy, so he's saying, God, don't give him mercy. He attacks the poor and needy, so God, don't, don't give him mercy. And he might even, and this is where he gets a little kind of interesting, might even slay the broken in heart. Okay? As he loves cursing, so let it come unto him. As he delights not in blessing, so let it be far from him. As he clothes himself in cursing like a garment, so let it come into his bowels like water and like oil into his bones. So he's saying, God, he likes to, he clothes himself with cursing. He is somebody who curses all the time. Let the curses be upon him in his entire being. That's really what it says. Uh, be in his bowels like water or an oil in his joints. How the body, when you put on these things, it gets all through the body. It says, he's going to be cursing God. Let it be completely in him. Don't let anything good happen to him. So yes, when we say this, this, this guy was a bad dude, David obviously thinks he is. One bad armor, yeah. And... Verse 19, let it be unto him as the garment which covers him and for a girdle wherewith he shall be girded continually. Let this be the reward of my adversaries from the Lord and with them that speak evil against my soul. So he goes, let this be the wages of my enemy from the Lord and them that speak evil. So 
In this case, he is saying this guy's bad. As far as he's concerned, this guy is the devil incarnate almost. Okay. I like mine better. Mine says, may it be like a cloth wrapped around him, like a belt tied forever around him, forever around him. May this, may this be the Lord's payment to my accuser. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Forever, he says. Yeah. This is, this will continue. It says, girded continue, belted continually. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is David's prayer. And, you know, I'm not going to say that David's really far off because, as we said earlier, every one of us have had somebody that we get angry with and probably would wish this, you know. Never that bad. Probably not this bad for our wishing on it. But we've all had somebody that we've, that we've felt been mistreating us and have been doing everything wrong toward us. And, and we kind of think, God, go get them. They deserve, you know. You know, God take their life even. You know, there's probably times when we've ever had people that we thought that would God just take their life. You know, that'll get them out of my hair. Uh, and actually in that, we're kind of agreeing with God. God, make them, make them fatherless, make, make their children fatherless and their wife a widow, their husband a you know, widower, uh, you know, deprive his parents of their child, you know, because this is how bad they are. We may not be quite that blunt, but when we're saying God, go get him, and we're thinking to the point of just take him, you know, take him out of my sight forever. You know, let them die. Unfortunately, God will do this at times. He will take somebody's life. If they're, doing, if they're being bad enough to his children and they're not repentant, he can and does take their life eventually because God will not let his children be abused. So this is a prayer where David's making this prayer, but it is something that God will do also because if somebody is going to harm his children, just as any father is not going to let his children be hurt, you know, incorrectly in front of him and stand up for them, God will stand up for us, especially when we don't deserve it. Because he's going to say, no, you can't treat my children like this. You can't treat my bride like this. No husband will allow his wife to be mistreated by somebody if he's any worth, his, worth the husband at all. He's going to defend his wife. He's going to stand up and say, no, you're not going to talk to my wife. You're not going to act like that around my wife. You're going to, you're going to be somebody, and God will stand up. God will protect in his children. And David is really expressing what God will do. Now, if it's a Messianic psalm, you can almost picture this is with a prayer of Jesus saying, Father, uh, they're mistreating us. Let's go take care of them. And it's not identified as a Messianic song, but I see a lot of Messianic in it that God's going to defend. God's going to protect, and he's going to love. He's, the more he loves us, the more he's hated by many people, but some people respond. All right, now we get into the more positive. Verse 21, but, changing, changing topics here, but do you for me, O God, the Lord, for, my, for your name's sake, because your mercy is good, deliver you me. Very fancy way Basically saying, God, because of your name, bless me. <laughs> now he's kind of t- turning the corner a little bit and saying, God, you're my defender. I wanna, I'm going to trust in you. God, you bless me. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me or pierced. My, my heart, the very innermost part of my being, has been, been, been uh, pierced. He says, I am poor and needy, which goes back to the place where he says that this guy doesn't abuses the poor and needy. So he's going, God, I'm poor and needy, and he's been the one that's abusing me. And because I'm poor and needy, God, you stand up. He changes really fast. He, when he changes, he changes pretty quick. Uh, but he still, this one is not quite as much changed as most of his. Because God, go get him, but take care of me. This is why I have some problems with, with where David's at on this, because... If I want him to take care of me, I shouldn't have him want to care for other people in, in it. And again, for me, I've seen God move so harshly against people. I do not want to see him move against people, even if they deserve it. Because when I've seen him do in people's lives, it's just total devastation of their life. Now I'm sure they deserve it. I mean, God would not totally des- des- you know, demolish somebody's life if they were going to repent with anything less. But I have seen him come hard on people. And you know, if you truly love people, it breaks your heart to see God move against them, even if they deserve it. 
It's just like as a parent, if you have to spank your children or discipline your children, it should be something that hurts you to do the discipline that hurts them. If you enjoy disciplining your child and hurting your child, then don't do it. Plain and simple. If you're enjoying it, don't do it because you're, you're not doing it for the right reasons. My dad's favorite saying was, this is, just as we were ready to get a spanking, is this is going to hurt you more than it hurts me. And I remember as a kid thinking, yeah, right, I'm the one that's going to have the sore bottom. But you know, the first time I had to spank one of my kids, I fully understood the statement because I did not want to hurt, the ch hurt my child, and yet I knew they needed the discipline. God is that way with us. He doesn't want to hurt us, but he knows that we need it. We need it to be able to work with him. He says in verse 23, I am gone like a shadow when it declines. I am tossed up and down as the locust. This idea, I, I am gone like a shadow when it declines. The shadow here is literally the shadow on a sundial. As it declines, as the sun sets, the, the dial, the shadow gets longer and longer on the, on the, neg on the late night side until it finally disappears when the sun goes down. And then I am tossed up and down as the locust. Everything, I, I had to look this one up to try to figure it out. Everybody says that it basically is the picture of a locust swarm where the edges of it go up and down. I don't understand the poetry of this one other than that. Uh, it literally means when you look it up that he's tossed up and down, he's tottering around like a locust. And I've never really watched a single locust fly around. Uh, I don't know if they hop like grasshoppers or not, but or if they fly. It's, I've never seen a single locust. I've always seen a bunch of locusts at one time. Never a huge swarm, but I've seen large groups of locusts. I've never, the problem is locust refers to everything from the grasshopper to what we call true locusts. Okay, and there's a huge spectrum in between. So if he's referring to grasshopper type locusts, then yes, I can picture that one. Hopping all, hopping all over the place. If he's talking about a, a full-fledged locust, I don't know. I've never really watched locusts to see if they fly up and down or hop or what they do. I've never, never paid that much attention to a locust. So I'm not sure whether he was talking about grasshoppers or locusts. I'm, like I said, I've never watched locusts, any one locust. I've seen a small swarm, and yes, they come in very loud. They make a lot of, lot of noise and eat everything that's green on their way through. They're not a very good thing to have. Verse 23, my knees are weak through fasting and my flesh fails of fatness. Apparently, he's saying he's been fasting a long time. He is wobbly on his knees because he's been fasting and he's lost the fat on his body. So he's not been do talking about just doing a, a fast for a day or two. He's obviously been fasting for a long time. And this is actually showing that he may be in the right state of mind with all of this because he's going, God, I've been coming to you. I have not been eating because I'm so worried about you. And it says I've given them prayer for, their, for their, all their anger at the very beginning of this. And this is a long-term fast. I don't know if anybody's ever done a long-term fast. It's, it's been a long time since I've done a long fast. And My sister's on it. No, that's a, that's a medical that's fast, a medical though. Yeah. Uh, fasting is very hard for about the first three to seven days, especially that three to seven day mark because you are starting to get hungry and your body's demanding food. Once you get past the seven day mark, your body stops demanding the food. Well, I don't know about happy, but it doesn't demand psychologically you're not demanding that food until you get to a place where your body's starving. Then it starts saying, uh, it's time to feed me before we shut down everything. And your body will shut things down. The longest you can fast in for a full fast would be about 40 days. And the body, and the body will say, this is it. I'm, I'm shutting down. And at that point, it will start. And the, for the average person, it might, you know, it might be as little as 35, but 40 is kind of the average. And at that point, the body starts shutting down systems trying to save itself and you will die within you'll die within probably 10 days of that if you can if you stay fasting uh, Jesus fasted for 40 days before Satan attacked attacked him 
He was at the end of his physical endurance when Satan came in to attack him. And so we see, he doesn't tell us how long David's been fasting, but he has obviously been fasting long enough that you know, his body is starting to show the effects of it. So this has been a long fast that he's doing, that he's describing. And it says, I have become a reproach unto them. When they have looked on me, they shake their heads. Help me, O my Lord, my God, and save me according to your mercies. God, you know, people are looking at me. People are listening to what these people are saying. God, save me. So at the end of this, he is actually coming to the right source. After he wishes, wishes that the whole prosperi prosper prosperity, posterity, get the right word, not prosperity, posterity of, his, of this adversaries die and all of his ancestors before him go to hell, you know, he's finally saying, God, you save me. God, you do what you need to do. So in essence, he is coming back to where he's supposed to be uh, uh, slowly. <laughs> Verse... 27, that they may know that this is your hand, that you, our Lord, have done it. This is what we come back to, what I said from the very beginning. When we let God defend us, people see that it is God who defends us. And they look at us and saying, you know, the most amazing thing is when you let God defend you and people look at you and saying, why aren't you, why aren't you defending yourself? And, you, and then when it comes out, oh, you, are, you weren't doing all the things that we heard. You weren't doing all the things that were said. And it really raises your testimony up a lot higher than if you had tried to defend, it, defend yourself. And it says that they will know that, Lord, you have done it. God is lifted up by his defense of us. And this is why it's so important we let God defend. We let him be our one that keeps our testimony. Because if I try to keep my testimony, it's all going to get screwed up anyway. I cannot keep my testimony. It's his power that lets me have a testimony. And it's his power that will defend the testimony that he's given me. And when he defends my testimony, he is lifted up. And just as we said in this morning, Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. When God is our defense, he will draw people to himself. Because that's when people will come to you and say, how did you get through this? Why, how did you respond? Why didn't you respond? And then we get a chance to lift up God. I knew that I was right and that God would defend. Would you like to know my God? <laughs> would you like to know the God that is so good and defends me? And it opens up opportunities for us to lift him up and share him. When we live through something that's hard and people look at us and say, how did you keep sane during all of that trial? Well, you know what? I was, I was going insane, but God kept me. <laughs> God kept me sane through all of this. He's the one that delivered me. He's the one that protected me. He's the one that gave me peace. It allows us to lift him up and draw people to him. You know, instead of, well, I'm just that strong person. Nothing ever bothers me. You know, if anybody wants to say that, they're full of it. Uh, you know, it always is God. It's always God that we're going to be successfully going through trials and tribulations. And he's going to be the one that will be the one that comes up on this. Verse 28, let them curse, but bless you. When they arise, let them be ashamed, and let, but let your servant rejoice. So when they curse, God, you bless. When they rise, let them be ashamed. Let them be ashamed. You know, the good news about this is when God defends, and all of a sudden their words come out to be false and, and incorrect, it brings shame to them. People start making fun of them. Sometimes they'll attack them because of what they did. It's amazing to watch the world attack one another. It's like watching a pack of piranhas when blood hits the water. They're all happy, you know, attacking another until they're the one being attacked because their blood is in the water. And this happens to the world all the time. Always attacking one another, destroying one another. This is why we as Christians need to build up, edify, love one another. And you know, when you, when you really have love for somebody, you can say some pretty hard things to somebody, and when it's in love, it doesn't come across as a hard thing. I was talking to one of the young men in the prison just the other day. He's always talking to me about Bible things. And we started talking about different things. 
And I gave him about three different corrections in the conversation. And he was asking me about, about a minute or two afterwards, he's, you know, he's going, well, how do you correct these people, you know, like the Bible tells you to, without, without them getting upset about it? And I go, well, how did you just take the three corrections I gave you? And he goes, what? <laughs> he hadn't even realized, because it was so gentle, that he was being corrected. And he thought about it and he goes, you have done some things, you have said a bunch of things that needed, to, needed correction. If we truly love one another, our correction comes across very gentle. Does it mean sometimes we have to come across harsh? Yes, sometimes we have to come across harsh, but that love has to be there to say, the reason I'm being this harsh is because I love you so much, I don't want to see you go down the wrong path. But that love still has to shine through. You know, have you ever been corrected by somebody very harshly, but you knew they loved you so much that it didn't anger you? Did you that doesn't necessarily mean that you accepted it and enjoyed it, but you knew that you were loved and that they were giving it to you because they cared about you, not because they were trying to hurt you or control you. The world likes to control. Do it my way because this is what I want you to do. You know, do it, do it because this is what's even right. You should be doing it because it is right instead of let me help you not get hurt. And love generates to us that we're trying to help them without hurting them. And in this case, David is saying just that, curse them that bless you, but bless you. Let them be ashamed, but let your servant rejoice. Let my adversaries be clothed with shame and let them cover themselves with their confusion or shame as a mantle. God, let them be ashamed and let them be clothed in this, in this shame and let them be seen as shamed. Now, David's back to being a little uh, hard here. God, they, you know, they are shameful for you, so you just make sure that they're seen clothed walking around in their shame. And... Have you ever been around somebody? Maybe you've been there yourself at some point where God has corrected you and you're ashamed of what you're doing and it seems like that's standing out in front of everybody, everybody's seeing you. David's actually literally saying, let it be seen that way. God, not only let them think that they're ashamed, but let them be seen, shamed by, by everybody. So he's back to being a little cruel again. And it says, I will greatly praise the Lord with my mouth Yea, I will praise him amongst the multitude. And so he's saying, God, I will laud and confess the Lord. I will confess you with my mouth. I will laud you. I will give you great praise. And I will praise, in this case, it's a, the idea of uh, bless you among the multitude. And again, multitude here, which has been in other places, is the whole world. Not just the Israelites, but God, I'm going to lift you up in front of the Gentiles, whoever will listen, I will tell you, I will lift you up. This is what we need to do all the time with him. Lift God up amongst everybody. I tell you, one of the most fun things to do as a Christian is to give God praise amongst a bunch of Gent uh, non-Christians and just get the looks you get from them. Yeah. Well, you're really lucky and you're giving all the credit to God. No, it is all God. I'm not, there's no luck involved in whatsoever. You lift him up in front of the non-believers non and it's amazing what they'll, how they'll react. For he shall stand at the right hand of the poor to save them, save from those that condemn his soul. God will stand at the right hand of the poor. He will be on the approved side of the poor. And he will save them from those that attack the, the poor. And this is why God is our defender. All through Psalm, that's been the pattern. God, you're my fortress. You're my, you're my strong tower. You're my buckler. You're my shield. You're my, you're, the, you're my defender. God is asking us, hide in me. You go to Ephesians 6. Put on the whole armor of God. Every piece of the armor is Jesus Christ. He is the helmet of salvation. He is our righteousness. He is the girdle of truth. He is the... The, the, the gospel. He is the, the truth. He, I mean, everything about the, the, that is be in Christ. Be hiding in Christ. He is our defender. He is our fortress. He is our tower. He is our strong, strong defense. Hide in him and let him be our victory. 
because we will not be victorious if we get outside of him and try to handle, handle it. God, I've got this battle. I'll go take Satan on for a day. <laughs> you know, maybe I'll just take a couple of his demons on. They, they've, been, they've only been around just as long as he has, and they're, you know, they'll, they'll make mincemeat out of me, but I'll, I'll go stand out there and, and go toe-to-toe with them as we crawl back into him later on in, in total defeat and, and bloodied, been pulverized by the enemy. We need to learn to just hide in him and let him be our defender. And again, it's one of those things that's not easy. When I say this, I don't want anybody to ever think it's going to be easy. It gets easier the more we do it. It gets easier as we stand and let him be our defense. Stand in the armor of God and let him take the blows from from the enemy. Let him be the one, because he's already defeated the enemy, it doesn't hurt him at all. He's the strong tower. You can, you can beat on the tower all day long with your sword, and it's not going to do a bit of good to, to beat on the tower with your sword. All you're going to do is blunt your sword. You can shoot as many arrows as you want at the tower, and it's not going to hurt the tower. That's what we have when we hide in God. Satan can hurl all the attacks he wants at God, and God will just laugh at him. It's not hurting me, not hurting the people inside here that, that I'm protecting. But if we get out of that tower, we get out of our protection, we'll get hurt. And hopefully we learn after enough times of being hurt, say, I think I just want to stay inside the tower and let God be my defender. And the more we do it, the easier it gets. Just like every other discipline we get, the more we pray, the, more, the easier it gets to pray. The more we come to church, the easier it is to go to church. The more we read the Bible, the easier it is to read the Bible. The more we share the gospel with others, the easier it is to share the gospel with others. Whatever discipline you want to pick, the more you do it, the easier it gets to do until it just becomes second nature. Most of us in this room are at a place where we don't go out and sin overtly every day. We all sin, we know that. But the sins that used to get us down so quick and easy, we don't do those anymore because of where we've grown to. And next year, five years, ten years down the road, you're going to look and say there's sins that you're doing today that you may not even recognize that are sins yet that you don't do in the future because God says this is a sin, I don't want you to do it. And you grow and you go through the test and you go through the trials and that and all of a sudden you go, oh, I no longer do that. Bad news is there'll be something else he'll show you that is a sin that you have to get rid of. That'll be the rest of our lives. He's going to keep showing us things to take out of our life. But then, but then, unfortunately, our sins become more of the mental and emotional sins rather than physical sins. And you know what? It's much harder to get rid of the emotional and mental sins than it is to get rid of the physical sins. Because number one, the physical sins, people see those and they know and they, they help you want to get rid of them. But the mental sins, you can sin all day in front of somebody on a mental sin and not get caught. Other than God saying, out of the abundance of your heart you will speak, eventually you will do or say something that comes from the emotion. So it's very important for us to let God change our emotional being and what's in our heart because it eventually will come out. He says you're... Uh, that our sins will find us out. They will be announced to the world. If we don't correct them and allow God to correct them, he will allow others to see our sin. And that's happened to many evangelists and pastors who think they're, somehow they get above following God and get into affairs and everything, and then eventually it comes out. And they'll lose their ministry and everything because they didn't confess their sin and, and deal with it. And this is something that's very important for us. We let God change us. We let him correct us. And we grow. Growth is the most important thing for us because we're never going to be perfect, but we should be able to see, if, it was put, if our life was put on a graph, we should see an upward trend in our life and toward perfection. Will we ever get to that top line of perfection? No. But you know, it is also an exponential graph. The longer we serve him, the faster we can move up it because we learn to trust him. We learn to trust him in, in more and more ways and more and, and faster. I, I now obey God faster now that I'm much older than I used to as a younger, younger person. Uh, and I've always told you, I was a very stubborn person, still have some stubborn streak in me, but I used to be a very stubborn person, and it was very hard to learn because I would just say, I'm going to do things my way. 
I'm learning very quickly, God, you want what done? Okay, let's help me, give me the strength to do it. It's taken 45 years to get there, but it's, it's coming. Hopefully it doesn't take you all 45 years to get there. But <laughs> so you don't want it to take that long. Learn, learn, <laughs> learn. Let God, let God change who you are. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love us and care for us. Lord, help us to learn to love others, to reach out. Lord, help us to learn to let you be our defender and protector in all that we do. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.